This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the new week. It's Monday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. All we need you to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send them to us that way. If you are driving in your car today, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit one button, call now at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer, and everything else is hands-free. Hope you had a great weekend in church. Hope you got to go to church. I have a question that's on the way to me about a church that's closed, but hope you got to go to church. We had, um, actually had to send some people out yesterday because we were at capacity, and that always kills me, but um, um, a lot of people, and it was, it was um, a good day. It was a good day. Uh, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, Paula will be teaching the ladies' Bible study at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvarysa.com, or you can join us. We usually have plenty of room on a Monday night. And then Pastor Ken, at the same time, will be uh, teaching the men. We're not yet able to provide uh, children's ministry for the kids that come, so we're still kind of holding off on that. But we'd love to have you join us. And I know Paula has been chewing on this Bible study for a long time, so we look forward to doing that. Okay, let's get to questions and see what's going on. The first one is from Violet. Uh, she asks, what is the difference between anger and righteous anger? Now, Violet, I'm not demeaning the way you asked the question, but I think most of us know the difference. When we get angry and we're, we're tempted to sin, um, we know how that feels. Uh, if, if the source of our anger is what somebody did to us, and we just want to be vindicated, or we want to get even. That's not righteous anger, certainly. Now, I think the best example, of course, is always to use Jesus. Jesus, on two occasions, walked into the temple, and in righteous anger, the second time at the end of his ministry, he did this at the beginning of his ministry, again at the end. At the end, he spent the night in Bethany thinking about what he was going to do when he got there. So it was a very reasoned approach. But both times the result was the same. He turned over the money changers' tables and he let everybody know that they have have corrupted his father's house. And, of course, we know that everything Jesus did was 
righteous. So that's righteous anger. He was defending God. I think when we really get into a difficult place, Violet, is when we try to defend ourselves. Somebody hurt us, somebody betrayed us, and we want to defend ourselves. I don't know about you, but I I can't do that without crossing the line into sin. So I just want to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. So I think the difference is the source of your anger, what's your motive for being angry, and what do you want from your anger? And in righteous anger, you want what's best for the people. Jesus, when he turned over the money changers' tables, he was protecting the poor, the defenseless. He was was rebuking in the loudest possible way the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And so um, I, I think that's the best way to, to explain it. Again, we typically know when we're getting ready to cross that line into unrighteousness. I think it's something we have to be really, really careful about. You know, Violet, I had somebody tell me um, one time ago, that uh, a long time ago, that he, he just has a temper. And, and Jesus got angry, and so he expresses anger. And my response to him when he was talking to me about it was, well, I think there's a big difference between your unrighteous anger and his righteous anger. And even he, in that situation where he's a little angry with me, he he understood. So I, that's that's really the best I can do. I'm not an angry person. Um, there are things that drive me crazy, and I really have to deal with them. One of them happened last night, and and I'm I'm trying to chew on it and kept me awake, and and yet I I had to keep saying, Lord, don't let me cross over into sin. I want to hold this person in high regard. I want to remember that you love this person. That way my anger didn't spill over uh, into into uh, unrighteousness. That's the best I can do on that one, Violet. It's a tough question, but I uh, hope that helps. Victor says, ooh, I like Victor. He says, how can we support your ministry? Unlike other radio ministries, you never ask for money. Well, Victor, we never ask for money because we want to take all the time that the Lord provides for us on the radio and our teaching programs. You know, we get 26 minutes, I think, out of the 30-minute uh, program. And I don't want to spend three, four, five, six, some people 10, 12 minutes of it selling books or, or trying to solicit support. Uh, Victor, I feel like if God um, wants us to be on the radio. This program costs a lot of money. Um, Our teaching programs cost a a lot of money. Uh, If God has directed us to be on the radio, he would provide the support. And we have made it our goal never to let our needs be known or never to spend one minute of his teaching time um, um, asking for ministry. So we'll just never do that. Um, anybody can support our ministry. We, we'd sure welcome the support. Uh, you can just send your offerings to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. You go to our website, calvarysa.com. Uh, but um, uh, it, it's not our goal. What we really want to do here is say that this is a ministry that truly honors the Lord, and we get nothing in return. We don't have a separate corporation where I'm getting paid from the radio ministry and from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. In fact, I don't take much money at all uh, from Calvary Chapel. So um, uh, if you feel led to support us, God bless you. We would we would be thrilled with that. Um, but but we, we really want to offer uh, these programs for free. 
um, and hope that people get blessed by them. You know, we, we never know, uh, but we want to, we, we hope that people get blessed by them. Thank you for your kind heart. I think that's really uh, a considerate thing for you. Here is an anonymous question. He or she says, my question is about communion. Should we allow the teachings of the early church to influence us in our view of transubstantiation versus a memorial approach to communion? Um, anonymous, I feel your pain a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things that you have to really be careful of, you can, you can get online or you can get all kinds of books or you can get sort of bogged down in, in denominationalism. And, and, well, in the early church, this was Augustine's view or this was um, um, somebody else's view. And, and I don't know why we think those guys were smarter than we are. I, I, I've never understood that. I mean, if you study church history, and I have, then you find out that heresy began right at the beginning with the teachings on Gnosticism, and then it just got worse from there. False teachers were always there, and the early church fathers, now I'm grateful for them, but they had the same Bible that we have. They certainly didn't understand the 2,000 years of experience that we can look back on that they didn't have. They were sort of kind of inventing it as they went along. And to, to put too much influence on the early church fathers, especially in this matter of, of, of communion, it's just never honestly made sense to me. You know, Jesus simply, I mean, to me this is so clear. And, and I, the only argument against it is tradition. And tradition, when it conflicts with Scripture, uh, is a bad tradition. And so when Jesus said, whenever you do this, remember my death until I come, that's clearly memorial. It's symbolic. There's no value in believing that the cup becomes his blood or the, the bread becomes his body. Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. He was still in his body when he said that. So this is a memorial um, approach and it doesn't diminish it at all. I, I don't know, maybe people get bigger goosebumps when they think they're eating the physical body of Jesus. But goosebumps don't save anybody. And the fact that the early church was really superstitious, having come from religious background, shouldn't surprise any of us. And honestly, I've never been able to understand, and nobody's ever been able to explain to me, why people who lived, um, you know, in the first two, three hundred years after Jesus, why we should think that they were a lot smarter or more spiritual than we are. Again, my studies in church history have, have made it pretty clear that we've always been pretty messed up. The church has always been arguing about these things. And just as it was then, it is now. So I think what we need to do, Anonymous, is just take a view. What does the Bible say? And then we can look at it and say, okay, what does that mean? And I don't need the early church fathers to tell me that. I can say this is what it, what it says. I don't have to interpret it. This is what it means. And then we take it one step further here at Calvary Chapel. It's, it's, this is how we use it. This is how we apply what it says and what it means in our lives every day. So I, I wouldn't allow the, the early church fathers to influence you at all. I would look at the Bible 
Now, there were a lot of wonderful faith giants in the history of the church. And every time we open a commentary, Anonymous, we, we're sort of standing on their shoulders. And there are people that you'll get to know, you'll be able to trust them. Um, you can look at their, at their, their uh, bibliographies, and, and, and you can see that they were really students of God's Word. Uh, I, I think of, of guys like um, uh, Thomas Newell or Harry Ironside. I mean, these are guys who believed that Israel was going to come back together as a nation way before 1948. You had to have faith to do that. You had to believe in a literal interpretation of, of the Bible. And they did. Um, I've, I've talked about F.F. F. Bruce many, many times on this program. Um, um, he, he's got different views than, than I have on some things. But he is my favorite Bible commentator. I think of John Phillips or G. Campbell Morgan. I mean, these are these are men um, who who lived a long time before me, and and uh, and and they're they've been a blessing to my personal walk with the Lord, and certainly my my role as a pastor over the years. John Stott is another guy that that I treasure. Ray Stedman, um, but but to go all the way back to the early church fathers and come up with tra- transubstantiation or even consubstantiation just seems um, out of the realm of possibility. And, and I just don't consider those people any smarter than people who are studying the Bible and teaching the Bible uh, in the 21st century. Good question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Paul. He said, how much authority does a parent have over their adult children? Paul, this is such an important question because we have so many adult children who leave, then they come back, and then when they come back, they don't want to leave again. You can't get rid of them. Um, um, so here's, here's the answer to your question. If the child lives with you in your home, on your dime, you're paying for it, then you have the same authority over them that you did when they were 15. They need to follow the rules of the house. They need to honor God. Their behavior needs to, uh, to, 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 to rightly represent you as, as their parent. Um, that can be hard, but it's supposed to be. See, what we want is for the kids to go and stay gone. We want to raise responsible adult children. And if that child stays with you at home, then they've got to submit to your authority. And, uh, and that means in every way. If they're unwilling to do it, then what you do is you tell them, well, then go get another place. You're on your own, but you've got to leave here. You don't have to, to go away mad, just go away. And I think it's really important that we do that. Now, on the other hand, if your child, adult child does not live with you, then you have no authority over them at all. They're going to do what they want to do. They're going to make choices. They're going to have to live with the consequences of the choices they make. I always say when, when kids start making adult choices, there needs to be adult consequences. And so you don't have any authority over your adult child who doesn't live with you, who you're not paying for or supporting. So I, I think the answer to that question is pretty simple. Um, 
and and I hope that helps. You know, one of the things that I have really tried to do over the years is is encourage parents to to be their children's parents while they were young, so that when they grew up, they could be their children's friends. And Paul, I, uh, my two boys, I've got one who's saved and one who's not. They're both wonderful, wonderful men of God. And, well, wonderful men, one's not a man of God, but, but, but he's a good guy. In fact, nicer than my other kid. Um, but we're friends. We can hang out, we can talk. Um, but so often, especially when a child returns home as an adult, um, boy, those friendships are really, really strained, so be really, really careful. Good question. Let me go to our email inbox. This one is from Daniel. Pastor Ron, I was part of a church before the corona thing, and I was, corona thing, aren't you tired of this? I am. Um, and I was in a men's group uh, ministry class and looking for my place and service. I thought everything was fine, and I knew a handful of men, and they knew me. We had some form of direct contact with each other in the church. This March, all of that changed. Everything shut down. No men's ministry, no classes, no church service. And the online church felt artificial, and in parentheses, he wrote to me. Time marched on. Nobody contacted me. No one reached out. I was alone without my brothers. I have the Lord always, and he's enough, but the body of people were gone. The only con- the only contact I did get was an envelope full of offering envelopes, and that speaks volumes. I've been listening to you, Pastor Ron, for a long while on the radio and recently tuned in on your church service. I like your message, sir. Uh, my question, is my situation biblical? Can you offer me some advice on what I should be doing according to the scriptures? Uh, Daniel, I'm, I'm so sorry that when, when church is, is taken away, and, and I may go off here for a little bit, if you want me to stop talking, start calling. Um, your email is the reason church is essential for believers. You know, the, the thought that we can have a church, we can have fellowship with, in your case, other brothers in the Lord in a men's group, um, and suddenly all that's taken away and it's okay, makes no sense at all. We don't do well alone. We are built to be in fellowship. That's the way God works, through the fellowship of the body. It's people touching people, iron sharpening iron. It's using the gifts that God has given you for for God's glory, but for the benefit of other people in the body. That can't happen privately. That can't happen online. So what I would say to you is, is call your pastor, talk to him, and tell him I resent sort of the fact that all I got from the church that I served was an offering uh, or an envelope full of offering envelopes because you want my money. Um, but see, this is really what happens. When we, as Christians, forsake the assembling together of the saints, read... Hebrews chapter 10. We find ourselves at first drifting away from the Lord. We drift away from others. And pretty soon we kind of figure out we can kind of handle it on our own. But we can't really. The enemy is pounding. That's why the fellowship, the healthy fellowship you're experiencing 
is of such value. Now, if I were you, I would have reached out to the men in the in the um, um, men's group at least. If your church is closed, and I said in my Bible study yesterday that it, we live in an amazing time. Yesterday in the United States of America, there were many, 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 many more churches closed than are open. How can that be? How can that be? How can we leave people like Daniel just to fend for himself? Jesus said that we were to, to feed the sheep, to tend the sheep, and then to feed them again, the emphasis on the word, but, but taking care of them. We can't do that if there's no church. We can't do that if it's closed. And I'll tell you something else, Daniel. These churches that are closed for a long period of time, they've got a rude awakening coming when they reopen. I know most are waiting until the first of the year to reopen. But when they reopen, people aren't going to come flooding back. It demonstrates that the church doesn't value the assembling together of the saints. And because the church doesn't value it, the people are going to lose the value that they once had. So it's really, really important that churches meet. You know, pastors don't listen to me, but if I had the ability to talk to pastors, I'd just tell them, you've got to be open. You can't minister to somebody, and you don't worry about how many are there. You minister to the people that are there. So, for now, talk to your pastor. Let him know that this has affected you. It's hurt your heart. Maybe talk to the men. Don't wait for them to contact you. You contact them. You be the reacher-outer. And if, like you, they're struggling, then you've got the opportunity there to use your gifts to minister to them. But this idea that church isn't important, the government says we're not essential, I promise you we're essential. There's a lot of people. And we were closed only for two weeks. Uh, we were closed for six weeks at the very beginning. Uh, but we we still had lots of um, um, people watching online and stuff. So, so we, we were in constant contact with people. But but by the time that six weeks were over, everybody wanted to get back to church so badly, we were packed immediately when we opened. And then we had a, a batch of people turn up with COVID-19. And so we had to close down for two weeks while, including me, uh, while we were, we were uh, um, in isolation. But then we opened as soon as we could. And Daniel, I'll never close this place. Uh, I, I said at the earlier part of the program, uh, we, we're having to turn some people away on Sundays because we, we with the social distancing and stuff that we have, um, it, it really is heartbreaking to me. I see people coming in. I know they're struggling. They need the word. They need fellowship. They need, as I said earlier, to use their gifts. And all I can say is my heart breaks for you. Um, but reach out to the men that you served with um, if there's no interest, then you find a church that's open and you go. You cannot, we are not healthy apart from church. And I think one of the things, uh, Daniel, that this is teaching us is that um, 
if we have a low view of church, and I'm not talking about sacramentally, but if, if, if we if we don't really esteem the time together, um, then we can't expect our people to either. And again, these churches are going to be in for a really difficult time when things get back to some sense of normality. So Daniel, I'm sorry you're going through that. We've got two minutes left in the first half of the program. Uh, I can do this one. Jason says, is it necessary to become a church member officially instead of just going to the church? Jason, there is no New Testament um, uh, requirement to become an official church member. Churches do that. They've got other motives for it, but but there, there's no biblical requirement. We call anybody who comes more than two or three times a member, but we don't have any official membership. We don't have anybody sign any covenant agreements or anything like that. So, um, no, if you are just going, go. Now, if the church that you've chosen requires you to be a member to serve, then you be a member because you need to serve. Church should not be a spectator sport. It's, it's, it's for participants. And when we see the value of, of serving others, and if you have to be a member to do that, then do it. And if for any reason you're hesitating to become a member of the church you've chosen, then it might not be the right church for you. Good question, Jason. We've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585. We'd love your calls. They're toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Monday program. Remember, tonight, our men's and women's Bible studies at 7 o'clock here at church. Ladies, you can watch online at calvarysa.com. Our first question from our email inbox for this half while we await your phone calls, is an anonymous female. Pastor Ron, I was brought up Baptist and believe in giving a tenth to the church. I've heard you quite a few times mention that I really should be giving and that tithing does not apply to us today. I think I understand what you're teaching. However, I feel that I should still give a tithe to give a minimum of a tenth and then to give above as I can. Is that okay to do and express? Um, Anonymous, certainly it's okay to do and express. When you hear me teaching about tithing, I'm not suggesting at all that we shouldn't give. But tithing is, as you indicated in your question, it means a tenth, 10%. And um, that's not the the law that applies to New Testament Christians. Um, Again, churches have motives for doing this. If I can get you to give me a tenth, I can budget things and I can uh, multiply what people pledge based on what they make. And then I don't have to trust God. We can budget and do those things. But but in the New Testament, why would we be under an, an Old Testament law? Giving in the Old Testament was a got to. Giving in the New Testament is a get to. 
And we give out of a cheerful heart, Paul writes to the church at Corinth. We give because he's given everything for us. And the idea that 10% is a fixed amount that people give says two things to me as a pastor. One, it says to me that the person who's giving it isn't praying about what to give. You know, if, I, if I've got a, a, a philosophy about money, and I say, okay, Lord, I've got uh, $10 here. Um, nine of it goes to me, and one dollar goes to you. I mean, wh- how could we ever justify that? When the Bible indicates, I think, under grace, that everything we have belongs to God. Now, he's going to let you keep most of it. But everything we have belongs to him. He wants to be the Lord of your life, including the Lord of your finances. So what I do when I tell people that the, the tithing is not a New Testament principle, and people can just, well, Jesus taught, well, Jesus was a Jew. He was ministering to Jews. Jesus was here to fulfill the law. Nowhere in the book of Acts, nowhere in the epistles, are we told to keep the Jewish law of the tithe. So here's what I tell people to do. Say, Lord, you've given me 10 bucks. How much do you want back? And if you set your heart and mind to pray about this, God will speak to your heart. And maybe in a real tight situation, he'll say, you know, why don't you keep all 10 this week? And next week he might say, you know, I've been blessing you. Why don't you give it all back? But see, we've got to be the ones who ask. Everything we have, everything we ever will have, belongs to him. And we've got a view of money like, well, well, 90% belongs to me and 10% of it belongs to God. And we don't understand what he's done for us. So you can give and give with a cheerful heart. And I would just encourage you, at least in your prayers, Anonymous, to change the word tithe to the word offering. And give God whatever he puts on your heart with a cheerful heart. If it's 10%, do it cheerfully. God's pleased, he'll bless. If it's 20%, I, I've actually had people anonymous that I told them, look, don't give. You're in such a miserable mess financially. Let's get you out of debt first. And and some of those people became really, really generous when, when they got out of debt. God doesn't need your money. What he needs is for you to acknowledge that it's not really yours, that it's his. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, but please give. Give cheerfully, hilariously, the Bible says. And if you will do that, God will be pleased and you'll be blessed. One other thing about giving for everybody in the audience. Motive is everything. If you give to get back from God, you don't understand what he's done for you already. If you give because it belongs to him and he's leading your giving, that's just being obedient and God always blesses obedience. So that's really, really important. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Hey, there was something that I, uh, I, I neglected to say at the start of the program. Uh, yesterday, I got a whole bunch of emails when our listener, Ruben, uh, was doing an interview on KSLR. 
Uh, I don't know who, what the program was, but uh, Ruben, a whole bunch of people heard it and let me know that you were uh, on the um, on the radio right at that time. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I will. And uh, God bless you, man. I pray that uh, you were blessed. I know you were a blessing to others. Here is our next question from David. Pastor Ron, where does the Holy Spirit go after he's taken away in the rapture? How can people get saved if he's gone? Well, David, he doesn't, he doesn't go away. What he does when he restrains, the one who restrains evil now in the world, believe it or not, as evil as this world is, it would be infinitely worse if, if the church were gone. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit living in the church, in believers. And when the believers go, then all evil is going to be unrestrained. But that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit still isn't here and ministering. So it's not like the Holy Spirit goes away and hides. It's just that the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers, the light of the world, Jesus said you are salt and you are light. Well, when, when that light goes out, believe me, if Jesus comes today, and he could, this place is going to get darker than we can possibly imagine it, and it's going to happen almost overnight. So the Holy Spirit will still be here, and people will be saved the same way they've always been saved, by believing in Jesus Christ. I mean, there's going to be 144,000 Jewish witnesses protected by God. They can't be hurt. They can't be killed. They're going to be in, endued with, with supernatural power. And they're going to lead the greatest revival in the history of the world. But it still requires the Holy Spirit coming alongside of us and convicting us of sin and of righteousness and judgment. We can't face our own depravity apart from the Holy Spirit's light. So the Holy Spirit will still be here, and he'll still be testifying of Jesus. That's his job forever and ever and ever. You know what I think about a lot, David? When I get to heaven, the Holy Spirit is still going to be testifying of Jesus. And Jesus is still going to be revealing the Father. Even though we know everything, imagine the mysteries are going to be unfolded before our very eyes. So the Holy Spirit will be taken away in the church will be gone but he will still be here on earth trying to win people to Christ uh, unfortunately most of the people who do get saved are going to lose their life they're going to be martyred for their faith in Jesus but um, that's just the way it is so I hope that answers your question thank you very very much here is a question from Reggie uh, do you think it is a coincidence that all the terrible things that are happening in our nation right now are happening at this, are happening together? Um, Reggie, I don't believe in coincidences. Now, we have to be careful. We don't want to be uh, alarmists. You know, um, um, Christians have gotten in a lot of trouble years saying, um, well, the hurricane in New Orleans at Katrina was, was God's judgment on them for this. No, it wasn't that at all. But I, uh, as directly as I can answer this, Reggie, I do not believe at all that it's coincidental. I mean, we've got unfathomable destruction from fires. I mean, never before seen like this. The West Coast is burning up. We've got complete and utter lawlessness in the streets of our cities, major cities. Last night in 
Linwood near Compton, California, caught on video, there's cameras everywhere, a young black man walked up and shot two L.A. County Sheriff's deputies through the windows and then ran away. And you can't identify him on the video. Both of the officers are going to recover, which is a miracle in and of itself. But um, this lawlessness is, is, of all the things that are going on, it is the most concerning to me. We have a, another hurricane that's focusing in on the Gulf Coast. And then you look back out into the Atlantic and you see three others, at least three others, lined up behind it. And we've had already a very difficult hurricane season. And then, of course, i got to talk, Reggie, about the, the, the coronavirus. I think God is trying to get our attention. Again, this isn't a judgment caused by God. This isn't God's wrath being poured out. But this is God saying, hey, I'm up here, and you're down there. Psalm 29 says God is enthroned above the judgment. But God's crying out to us. He wants us to return to him, to repent. And nobody's listening. And so I think these kind of things get worse. I say that not as trying to be a prophetic voice because I'm not. But I say that because God's heart is so broken over the way mankind has turned completely away from him that he's trying to get our attention to come back to him. So, Reggie, I don't think it's a coincidence at all. I think it is, in large part, God simply saying, don't forget me, don't forget me, the time is short. And believe me, the time is short. So, Reggie, that's my answer for that one. Alfred, here is... um, a question I like. Alfred says, Pastor Ron, can you talk about how you learned the Bible? I really struggle. Alfred, a lot of people do because it's a discipline and we're not very disciplined people. Now, I'm not talking to you. I don't know you. But think about this. God has given us His complete Word. And by the way, this coming Sunday here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be teaching about the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses um, 14 through 17. And um, it's about the Word of God. And I I don't know how, I've only got 40 minutes on Sunday mornings, I don't know how in-depth I'm going to go, but but I could talk about the Word of God. Paula said today, she's reading to me, she said, this is one of your favorite subjects, you could talk all day, but I only got 40 minutes. But I'm going to talk a little bit about how I learned the Bible. And, And Alfred, what you have to do is discipline yourself to find a place where you and Jesus can sit down with an open Bible and you read it. Your mind will wander. The enemy will try his best to disrupt your concentration. You'll come up with all kinds of other things that you ought to be doing or that you could be doing. You'll suddenly get hungry. You'll suddenly get sleepy, all those things. But you've got to discipline yourself to do it. And when you do that, I promise you the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll crave that time preferably in the morning, 
You'll crave that time when you get to open your Bible and be with Jesus. But you got to learn to fight. you got to really value it. Um, Alfred, the way I learned it was simple. I just read it. I read it. Now, I'm not trying to paint myself as being super spiritual or anything, but I'll bet in my first year as a Christian, I'll bet I read the Bible ten times. I just couldn't put it down. I call this the turning page phase. I just had to read it. I had to get familiar with it. I wasn't looking at commentaries. I wasn't looking at a study Bible saying, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? I was just reading it, turning the pages, getting to know where stuff was, getting an, an overview of, of the Old Testament versus the New Testament. And the only way you can do that is to read it. Most of it is thrilling. A lot of it, however, is tedious. And that's where the discipline comes in. And I just couldn't get enough, Alfred. And I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and then um, there was just this desire to know more. That's when I would get into reading commentaries and 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 um, sitting there with the Lord, just trying to, to to hear from Him, get answers from Him. I'm a really curious guy, so um, when questions would pop into my Bible study, I needed to find the answers. I was stricken by the differences in churches and how they functioned. So Paul and I, when when I first got saved, we would go to church as many times as we could find churches on a Sunday open. We'd go on Wednesday. Sometimes we we found a church we'd go to on Friday. Um, we just wanted to be in church. And I would I would look around and see all the differences. So I wanted to, to sort of look at my Bible and say, well, well, this church does this way and this church does it another way. I wanted to find out what was the right way. And the Bible had all those answers. So, discipline yourself. You have a date with Jesus every day. Open the Bible. And just sit there until you've read whatever it is you're comfortable reading. But don't just read it to get through it. Read it to hear from God. And as Jesus begins to reveal himself to you, I promise you the struggle will stop because you'll be the one who keeps pushing the time envelope. I started out after Alfred reading, like everybody else, just, you know, for half hour or something a day. Uh, and, and Paul will tell you, it, it, was, it wasn't long. I was in the, 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 the library, theological library, 10, 12 hours a day. I just couldn't get enough. Now, there, there's something unusual about me. I, I, if you've been listening to the program, you know that I don't see. I can't, I'm not dark blind, but um, I, I'm visually impaired. Um, and God knew that that was going to happen. And so he gave me that hunger to devour the word. I'm so grateful he did. And now as somebody who really can't read like I used to read, Paul reads to me, but I miss it so much. But God prepared me for it. And now for likewise, if you really dig into your Bible, he'll prepare you for whatever lies in your future. 
Good question. If you get the opportunity, go to calvarysa.com this coming Sunday and watch. Uh, in fact, the next two weeks, I think I'm going to be talking about the Bible. So um, watch at least this week and maybe next week as well. 340-9585. Our phones are quiet today. Here is a question from Oscar. Um, why doesn't your church have Sunday school classes? Um Oscar, I've said before in the program, I wasn't raised in church. I'd never even been to church. Other than my grandma dragging me a couple times as a little kid. So I wasn't raised in church. I didn't have any sort of church baggage. So when when I started studying and going to church, um, I found Calvary Chapel. And what they were doing was taking the Sunday school portion. You know, in, in, in churches that have Sunday school, most of them, I'm speaking generally here out of necessity. But... Um, you know, you go to Sunday school to, to like study the Bible, either in group or or with somebody teaching, uh, and then you go to a worship service where the emphasis is more on on music and and uh, emotions and 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 somebody preaching to you. Um, what I found the best way for us is to include the teaching time in with our regular services. We do three services here on Sunday. I do a Friday night and three services on Sunday. And, um, you know, we don't have time to schedule uh, an hour for, for Sunday school. So we've just turned our teaching times into Bible study. And uh, we've found that that's the, the most effective way. Teach through the Bible, teach it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And um, everybody gets fed. The kids go to, to learn the Bible at their level in the different grades. But the adults sit in church. We worship together and we study together. And it just made so much more sense to me than trying to... I'm not a preacher type of person. You know, I listen to preachers and I like them, of course. But, you know, I'm not funny and... I don't have like this style. I can't. I cannot, Oscar, raise my voice. So for me, it's just let's open the Bible and learn it. And uh, God has blessed what we've done here for a long time, and uh, we're going to continue doing it. Just don't see the value in Sunday school when you can turn your worship services into learning experiences as well. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from Adrian. Pastor, did Bathsheba have a choice to sleep with David, or was she raped? Um, Adrian, two things. Um, she didn't have a choice, but she wasn't raped. Now, I know that doesn't make sense. Let me try to explain. Uh, David was a king. In the ancient world, nobody said no to the king. Nobody said no to the king. But in Bathsheba's case, um, she bore some responsibility. Uh, when David summoned her, it was after he had seen her bathing naked on the rooftop. Now, in Israel, homes have rooftops. They go up there to cool off, and they would bathe. And 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 um, but she she knew she was right below David's rooftop, and she knew she'd be seen. This wasn't a rape. This wasn't um, an innocent girl being devoured by a, a, a king who turned out to be evil. Um, she set him up. I think it was all a part of a plan. David fell into the trap, and uh, both of them were guilty of sin. And um, it wasn't a rape the way we understand rape. And obviously, 
that continued in the sense that that uh, they married uh, after her period of mourning was over after David killed her husband. Okay, got time maybe for one more. Ted says, uh, what biblical passages used to justify infant baptism? Ted, none. There is not a single biblical passage that even suggests we ought to baptize babies. Now, the question begs, why do churches do it? It's tradition. Remember I said earlier, I think to the first question we had, um, tradition that is contradicts the Bible is bad tradition. And we've got Catholics and Lutherans and, and Church of Christ people that, that baptize infants. Um, there's no biblical authority to do that. In fact, just the opposite is true. The Bible makes it really, really clear that we have to make a decision of our own free will. We have to be born again. An infant can't be born again. An infant has no ability to choose. An infant doesn't know what's going on. You sprinkle water on his or her little head. So there's there's simply no justification for infant baptism other than church tradition. And the problem with that, of course, Ted, is that um, people who are baptized as infants, um, they're raised feeling like, well, hey, I got a free pass to heaven. And they've never served God. They've never surrendered to God for even a day, an hour even. But no, I was baptized a baby. I'm going to heaven. The church baptized me. And I think it is a real destructive uh, practice in the church. Um, so there, there are no biblical passages. You know, here at our church, Ted, we dedicate babies. And it's not just the babies we're dedicating. We also dedicate um, um, the families. Um, Hannah, when she dedicated Samuel, uh, is the model. And uh, Lord, this baby will be yours. And what we do at a dedication is we simply are dedicating the families. They're going to raise this child to know and love Jesus. They're going to example Jesus in their life. Um, they're, they're going to love the child sacrificially. And then my prayer is always, Lord, I pray that when this child recognizes the very first time that he or she is a sinner and they know they're doing wrong, I pray that they will look to mom and dad's Jesus and say, I need him. We're going to be doing a baptism uh, at a private home this Saturday. And uh, we're going to baptize adults who have said yes to Jesus Christ, who have been born again. And as a result of being born again, then they can have their own free will go make that public proclamation of their faith. So we're going to do that on Saturday uh, here at Calvary Chapel. Um, normally in the summertime, we have this huge baptism event, but of course with the COVID stuff, we can't do that this year. But um, um, baptism is for adults who choose to be baptized of their own free will. Thank you, Ted, for the question. Hey, we're almost out of time here for the program. Remember tonight... At nine, at seven o'clock, we will have our uh, men's and women's Bible study. Paula teaching ladies, Pastor Ken teaching the men. CalvarySA.com for the ladies' study. The rest of you can be here and join them. We'd love to see you. I'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow at four o'clock on AM six thirty. The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels. The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.